Welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. So today, we return to the sermon series that we left two weeks ago. A sermon series in the book of Ecclesiastes called Chasing the Wind, Finding Meaning Where It Matters. You'll remember that the book of Ecclesiastes is a set of observations by the master teacher named Kohelet, who says, I've lived long enough to make some observations about life and I've searched for meaning in every conceivable source. I've looked for meaning in pleasures. I've looked for meaning in wisdom, education, learning. I've looked for meaning in my vocation, in friendships, relationships, and and I've come to realize that so many of the places where we seek meaning in this life, well, they're all kind of meaningless. The word that he uses is chavel. Chavel means wind or vapor or mist or smoke, as if you're trying to grab something that you see offers you something. There's some substance to it, but once you grab it, like smoke, it just slips through the fingers. And he says in the book of Ecclesiastes, throughout all of his musings, all of his observations, he says, the trouble is we have these three major obstacles that are like common ground for all of us. Three ways in which Chavel keeps visiting our lives. One of those ways is in the seemingly random nature of life. And we've talked about that a little bit, about how you can do everything right and lose it all. Or you can do everything wrong, cheat your way through and have everything that you've ever wanted. Or you can, you can eat well and exercise every day and die at 30. Or you can eat cheeseburgers and potato chips all night long and live to 100. It's chavel. It's an absurdity that just doesn't make sense. And one of those obstacles is the seeming randomness of life. Another one that we've talked about is time itself. That try as we might, we, we can't seem to, to harness or control time. And this illusion that we can, that we can make the good moments last or that we can somehow avoid the bad moments, cause many of us to live so much in the past where our regrets live that we never move forward. And it, and it causes some of us to live only in the future where our fears live and we never actually see what's right in front of us. It's chavel. So the seemingly random nature of life, time itself, But there's also one more. One of the great equalizers in life. Death. Death is not a great pick-me-up conversation. It's not everyone's most enjoyable sermon topic. But Kohelet says, 
we have to recognize that death is the great equalizer. And he, he has a great hang up with death. He's fixated on death in many ways because of the absurdities. Some of the rules of death just don't make sense and we're gonna read about that in a moment. But I wanna talk about that for just a few moments today for two very important reasons. One is we don't like to talk about it. We live in a society that that is so averse to being aware or even talking about our own mortality that I've said to you before, we're like the first civilization in the history of civilizations to be able to have like like a funeral service with no dead body present. We are so averse to talking about our limitations and mortality. So on the one hand, we need to talk about it because Kohelet is being honest. The second reason is this. Yes, there are some who deny their mortality and never want to think about their death, but also in this very room and tuning in wherever you may be, I promise you there is someone who is so acutely aware of death that it has gripped you with a choking, asphyxiating fear that keeps you from being alive while you're alive. And I want to talk about that today for just a moment. We begin in the ninth chapter of Ecclesiastes because he says that there is a way to be free from the fear of death, to be free. But like all things, we're resurrection people. We know there is no resurrection without first there being a cross. Our faith is based on a few mysteries like the way up is down. So in order to talk about being free from the grip of fear of death, We gotta talk about death for a moment and wow does he. Chapter nine, beginning in verse one, the great observer, Kohelet says, so I reflected on all this and I concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so it is with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so it is with those who are afraid to take them. This, this is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. Here it is. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and then after, afterward, they, they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For those living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, even, in, even their name, even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, their jealousy have long since vanished and never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. The reading of the good news of the Lord. (laughs) Golly, I mean for crying out loud, Kohelet, give us a break and yet what I love about Kohelet is he is painfully honest to the ears of a society who prefers not to be honest about some things. You know what he summarized, I summarized what he just said, you know what he's saying? In verses two and three, he's basically saying, you're all going to die. (laughs) 
are all going to die. And he goes on to say, it doesn't matter if you're righteous or unrighteous, whether you are clean or unclean, whether you are spiritual or not, make sacrifices or not, you know, worship or not, no matter what you do, you will die. I love that we sang so many songs about breath today. In fact, you and I did not even talk about that, Adam. But I'm mindful this morning about, there have been a couple of moments in my life that I have been gobsmacked, just agog at the mystery I was beholding. I saw two people take their very first breath. And I've been with way more than two people when they took their last breath and gave it back to God. And more humbling and more mysterious than even those two kinds of moments is the awareness that in between our first breath and our last breath, we use our breath in so many ways. Sometimes we will use our breath to whisper, I love you, and you're the only one. Sometimes we use our breath to curse another, I hate you. Sometimes we use our breath and we're winded from the giddiness of laughing so hard that our, that our sides hurt. And other times we use some of those breaths to answer phones. And sometimes we use those breaths for life and for death. And yet, the thing that I'm reminded of is between our first breath that we borrow from God and the last one that we return to God, there is a limited number. Kohelet says, we will all die. But then in verse four, he goes on to get a little snarky about it. He says, it's better off to be a live dog than a dead lion. In all of the regal, royal imagery of the lion, the king of the jungle, what good is royalty and regality in your image if when you are done, you are food for the wilderbeasts? And then he goes on in, in verse five and six, and you know what he says? He goes, it's not only that you're all gonna die. I mean, he gets really dark here. He says, but nobody's ever gonna remember anything about you. I mean, do you remember? Let's look at verse five. First of all, Ecclesiastes verse five, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They'll have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Now, a couple years ago, I did an experiment with you, remember, and I said, hey, how many of you know your great-grandparents? Because you know, you've got eight of them, right? No matter who you are, what your story is, or how you came into your family, you have eight people who contributed to your existence. And yet, while you may know something about them, maybe you've done genealogy.com, maybe Maybe you've done your research, maybe you're Mormon and you have access to some great records. That was supposed to be funnier than it sounded. <laughs> if you are Mormon, welcome, by the way. 
even if you know something about one or two of them, do you know that most people can barely name the first and last names of their great-grandparents? And if you think you're good at it, maybe, you, maybe you're able to do that, let's go to great-great-grandparents because you've got 16 of those. And yet most of us don't know their names. These are the ones who, who gave you your DNA. So you can either blame or thank them for your body type, your chemistry, your metabolism, your eye color, your hair color, your hairline, your waistline, your height. That's them. That's them that did that to you. But more than that, they, they also hoped for the same thing that you hope. And they were afraid of the very things that you fear. And they stayed awake at night over the things that you worried about as well. Do you know what they did for a living and what they were most proud of? Do you know anything about their faith? Because most of us don't know their names and Kohelet is saying, sooner or later, no one will know that you were here. And you would think as negative as all that has been in the first seven, eight verse, or first six verses of the book, with, you're gonna die. You're not only gonna die, it doesn't matter what you do, before you die, you're gonna die. Good and bad are gonna have the same fate. You end up in the grave. And furthermore, nobody will remember you or talk about you. You would think that the very next line out of his mouth would be something that negative and cynical. You would think, well, you're all gonna die, so it really doesn't matter what you do. So go do whatever you gotta do because we're all kind of doomed in the end. But it's not. That's not what he says. He says, go. In verse seven, go, he says. And eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart for God has already appointed and approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this chavel filled life that God has given you under the sun all your chavel days for this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. Kohelet is saying, yeah, you're gonna die. Everybody does. But you're not dead yet. You're not dead Yet, you can assume a posture in the heart. You can assume a particular perspective in the soul that says, my gosh, if we're all, if we're all doomed, well then what, where's the hope? Or, or if, if the grave is where it all ends and it all goes down to the dirt at the end, well then what's the use? You can, you can have that and you can be cynical and negative and hopeless and all the relationships that you have will have that kind of, that kind of toxin all through it because where's this going? It's going to the grave or, or, what if, what if the grave is not the end? What if the grave is not the end of the story? What if we actually remember as resurrection people 
the very foundation upon which the house is built, that he became one of us, took on flesh and bone to live this mortal existence and to absorb into his own living all the chavel that we will ever experience. And in living among us, taking on flesh and bone and dwelling in the neighborhood where we live, what if he came to show us that not even dying nor death itself has the final say over you, only the love of God. So run to the Father. Okay, if your heart needs a surgeon, if your soul needs a friend, run to the Father because he's the one who became flesh and dwelt among us. John says he loved us so. I mean, God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But that everlasting life that he spoke about, the one who became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus said, this kingdom that we all hope for This kingdom of heaven is not some distant experience on some day in the future somewhere else. It is breaking in right here and right now. Heaven is coming to earth, on earth as it is in heaven. And what I'm fascinated by is in all of Johannine literature in the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the book of Revelation, there is this idea That in our earthly experience, we live in one domain. Think in terms of quantum physics, quantum dynamics. We live in one domain, one kind of dimension. But in Johannine literature, we're, 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 we're told that heaven is like another dimension. In, in, in many ways, heaven and earth mirror one another. That the things that happen on earth are a reflection of things happening in heaven and things that are happening in heaven are happening on a macrocosmic level in, in what we experience here on earth. So you got the gospel of, or the, the book of uh, Revelation. So John the Revelator, he says, you know, I got to go up and peek at one of the levels of heaven. And what I saw there, wow. And he comes back down and he describes it. Then he goes back up and he looks again. Whoa, and comes back down and points to mysteries on earth to help us understand what's happening above. And I think to myself about my grandmother, Granny King. Now, if she was my great-grandmother, I might struggle with her name, but she's my granny. I remember she had a Singer sewing machine, an old, heavy, steel Singer sewing machine. And upstairs in her, in her house, where I lived a good part of my childhood, she would pedal pedal that thing and it would go and and something I noticed as a six, seven year old, I'd just prop up and watch her sew and we'd have an old pair of pants or an old shirt that may have been torn and she has this patch and she's putting it on there and I'm watching this sewing machine and the needle goes from up to down and back up and, and the needle is taking new thread and sewing it down into the garment that is ripped, torn, broken and then coming back up and then sewing more thread back down into it and then ultimately the thing is repaired by something new. And I think, I think that that's what John is saying. That right now, in ways we can barely perceive, 
Heaven is breaking in to our broken world everywhere. This is what Jesus said. The kingdom is breaking in. It's closer than you think. It's as if heaven itself is being sown into these moments of brokenness where we feel torn and afraid and sowing into the very fabric of our havel is heaven itself. That means that we no longer have to think about our lives in kind of a horizontal fashion. We don't have to think of our lives as this kind of linear timeline where we're born on this date, we die on this date, then it's the grave. Instead, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of the resurrection from the grave, we don't have to live horizontally, we live vertically under heaven. And in every moment of beauty and grace and love and sharing and mercy and compassion, it's as if God is sowing into our temporary experience something eternal and heavenly, putting us together so that in these moments that we experience that are so beautiful, it's not as if we will lose those moments. Those are heavenly moments of eternity, the kingdom of God breaking in now that we now get to begin today and live forever. That that means every time you choose life in the middle of a life that is filled with chavel, every time you choose joy, every time you choose to live when everything around you seems to be dying, it is an act of subversion. You are literally subverting the dominant paradigm that despair is your story, that the grave is your story, but where is your victory, O oh death? Chavel, where is your sting? Somebody's gotta say amen. Am I, am I, am I preaching? Is this thing on? Do, do you know, hang on, hang on, no. Do you know what I just said? So let, let me do this. Let me just back up and tell you again. The truth is every limited moment of opportunity for you to be alive in this world, despite all the death that's around us, every little moment of aliveness, of resurrection, is heaven punctuating the havel and reminding you that what begins in the kingdom here now lasts forever. Yeah. That means that choosing joy is a subversive act. Choosing joy is an act of subversion. You know, I, I often, often think about the movie Notting Hill. We talked about this a couple years ago. Best scene in the whole movie. There's a group of misfits there. They're just, some are smart, some are not so smart. Some are beautiful, some are not so beautiful. Some are successful, some not so successful. But they've gathered to have a birthday party for one of the friends. And it's wonderful, and they, they cook guinea fowl, and, and they have birthday cake, and, and they, they, they eat food, and they pour good wine, and they blow out candles, and they pop streamers, and, and they, they sing and laugh, and it's a, it's a moment of absolute beauty, and yet, as the scene unfolds, they each tell their story, and one of them is in a wheelchair, and she's just discovered she will never have a child. Another one is in a dead-end job, and He wants to be in love, but no one will be in love with him back. Another is moving from one dead relationship to another dead relationship, and and another, the most beautiful one there, Julia Roberts, who's this actress, this world-renowned actress, everybody thinks has this wonderful life, but she reveals that she is the most lonely and afraid one at the table. 
And I see that scene, you should go watch it, of all this cavell, and yet in the midst of it, celebration, a birthday cake, fudge brownies, a glass of good wine, and laughter until your cheeks are hurting from smiling so much. It's as if when you choose joy, you are subverting the table that the world sets for despair, and you're turning it upside down to claim that there is another way to see your story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I love verse seven. Eat your food with gladness, with a joyful heart. Drink wine uh, with a joyful heart. And God has already approved what you do. Does that mean that you, whatever you go and do, God, is, God will approve it? No. <laughs> we know that's not the, the story of the whole of, Bible, of the Bible. But it says God approves your desire to have a glad heart. The joy that you're seeking and, and choosing to pursue, God approves of it. He goes on in verse eight and nine, I love these. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days for it is your lot in life in your toilsome labor under the sun. I love the, that, that part about the, the wear your white robe and always anoint your head with oil. See, that's, that's, that's party attire. That's what you wear to a banquet. That's what you wear to a feast, to a wedding party. A white robe and anoint your head. It's as if Kohelet is saying, look, I know you're gonna die. I know this life is filled with chevel, but dress in such a way as to be prepared to be surprised by joy. Clothe your mind with the awareness that heaven is punching into the havel everywhere around you if you have the eyes to see. And clothe your heart with the expectation that God desires your joy. And I love the part about the wife. Enjoy life with the wife you love. Not the wife you don't love, just the wife you love. I love, I love that. I could I can speak all day long about what it means to pay attention to the one closest to you because sometimes that's the very one we miss. Sometimes we will be in such close proximity to an expression of heaven on earth that we won't see it. Look closely, my friends, at those who are closest to you Look deep into the mystery of them because they may just be the face of heaven. But the other reason we sometimes miss enjoying life with your wife, enjoying life with your spouse, with those who are closest to you, is because sometimes we are so afraid of losing those who are close to us that we hold on with such a grip we never actually live. Craig Barnes is the president of uh, Princeton Theological Seminary. He said that years ago when he was a pastor, he was doing premarital counseling with this couple, young couple, they were about to get married. They had done all the sessions, they were ready, now it was time to talk about the service. So they brought their plan and the red pens, he says, and they were gonna mark it up, change some things, make it right. And after all this discussion, he thought they were ready. And the, the young man says, yeah, before we start, I, I need to... Um, I need to confess something. I am, I am frightened. Well, at that point, 
he had his fiance's attention. <laughs> and she kind of bowed up. What, what, what are you, what? Are you afraid? No, 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 honey, not about the marriage. I'm not afraid. I'm more sure of this than anything else. But I am afraid of losing her. My mother died when I was a teenager and, and I love her even more than I loved my mother and if something were to happen to her, if I were to lose her, I don't know if I could make it. So Dr. Barnes said, well, I knew what he wanted me to say. I knew what he wanted me to say, which is, oh, you're young, and, and you're gonna live a long time. You're gonna have many, many years of building a life together and having kids and doing a great thing. But he said, I knew I couldn't tell him that because I have buried too many young people to tell him that. So this, so this is what he said. Well, I have found in my experience that 100% of marriages end. So let's get back to work. <laughs> he said, what? Yeah, he said, I mean, either through you know, a, a terrible divorce or some tragic accident or just, just, just death itself, 100% of them die. So let's get back to work. And knowing that that was not a good enough answer, he said, okay, well look, if that doesn't make you feel better, let's think about it this way. Let's say you live a long life. How long are you gonna be married? Like, let's say it's 60, 65 years marriage. Oh, that's good. So let's say 65 years worth of marriage. And let's say, hypothetically, it is 65 years of fire. 65 years of passion and love and joy. And, and, and at the end of 65 years, the one thing that cannot change is that one of you will lay the other one to rest. So, when it comes to that day, you will be beside yourself. And you won't know what to do. You will feel as if everything is coming unraveled from the inside because by that point, you don't even know who you are anymore apart from her. At that point, you've so become one flesh that you don't know how to navigate a typical day because part of you is actually gone and you will grieve like you've never grieved before. So I'll tell you what, why don't you just go ahead and end it now? Save yourself all that pain now when it's much easier, right? He said, or, or, and he leaned in. You could teach yourself to hold on to the things you love most with a loose grip. Because the looser your grip, the greater your awareness that you are both in the grip of God. And then instead of being choked by the fear of losing that which you love so deeply, you get to wake up every morning, turn in your bed and say, oh, you're still here. You, look, you're still here. We get, uh, are you kidding me? Another day together? Wow. Let's eat food, let's drink wine, let's enjoy life. Because Kohelet would agree. Everything is grace. And the, the looser we hold our lives, the greater our awareness that we are being held by a grip that is firmer than us. That means, you know what you can do, my friends? That means that you can live life free of fear 
You can especially live life free of the fear of losing that which you hold dearest. You know why? Because every moment in the middle of this havel-filled world, every moment that you choose joy, gratitude, every experience of generosity and sharing, every moment of mercy and love, every time you choose to lay down your life for another and they for you, you experience heaven on earth. So, in every public moment of boisterous laughter and joy with friends and in every private moment of passion and intimacy with the one you love, you can be free. Yeah. Because what you're experiencing in that moment is not only that moment, but it is a foretaste of a great banqueting table that is being set for you even now as we speak in heaven.